0: Hi, Jonathan Williams back again at the Bricks and Mortar podcast Well, we are almost there we have almost made it it's in the last week of school and I can almost touch it We've got prize giving coming up this week so we're going to have to traipse along to the Butte Hall and prize giving they've got prize giving at 8 o'clock at night who's going to want to go to that unless you're winning a prize of course still don't understand the school Um, yeah I appreciate that they've got to try and get as many people along to the prize giving but why have it at 8 o'clock I mean it'll probably not finish until about half past 10 anyway they need to sort that out we're going to go along there um, and that'll be it so that'll be Friday Uh, looking forward to that just off the back of the Highland Cross if you've been following on the Facebook you will have realised that we've now completed the Highland Cross myself and two of my colleagues at work decided it would be a good idea to do the Highland Cross just to refresh your memory the Highland Cross is a event that has been going for 35 years 235 teams of three Competed on Saturday there. Weather was absolutely awful as we traipsed up a Monroe for 20 miles and then jumped on a bike for a 30 mile cycle. So after five hours and 40 minutes, I managed to cross the line. Absolutely shredded the. I haven't done a 20 mile run now for probably about a year, year and a bit. And I tell you what, once you get past that 13, 14 mile mark, it really becomes a bit of a struggle if you haven't done any training or any decent training and and that's really not that I hadn't done much training it was the fact that I'd had a cold over the last week or so and I just felt that I wasn't up to doing any of the training but what a great great event if you're into your multi-sports or any of the endurance stuff then give it a look out, uh, the Highland Cross. It's quite difficult to get into, but I tell you what, the whole community, that's what I love about these graces, is that the community of this little village in Bewley come out and hundreds upon hundreds of the, the villagers help and raise money, f- obviously give their time for free and raise money for three super charities. So I think we ended up raising about 17 1800 quid and uh, we're really pleased to have done that and great that the, the three of us managed to get over the line safe and sound. Uh, I have to say that was on Saturday, so Monday turning out for work was a bit of a struggle. We're coming to the year end um, and the great thing is that we've managed to hit our targets this week. We've got another two weeks to go before the end of the our year end which is the end of June so that's great that's my first full year as a mortgage broker and protection specialist and I tell you what having been a solicitor well I still am a solicitor but having gone away sort of moved away from the the legal side of things um, to predominantly focus on the mortgage side of things you know what I wish I'd done it 10 years ago um just having an absolute ball at work, I have to say. Still doing the legal, still advising people on buying and selling properties with my uh, contract, with my consultancy agreement with Lindsay's, but my day-to-day work is organising the mortgages. I said that I'm still doing the legals and really what I wanted to talk about this week is gazumping. What is it? When does it happen? And can it happen in Scotland? And certainly I'm going to have a little bit of a a talk about that and a, a personal experience that I had about gazumping. We were talking the week before about negotiating and I've got a bit of a story there about putting an offer in where in fact we were successful but we weren't the highest offer. You might think that that's odd but it happens surprisingly often where you might be successful but you've not put in the highest offer. I'll tell you a bit about how that happened. And then finally, you know that I'm a mortgage broker. Why should you use a mortgage broker? And I'll give you three reasons probably why people go to mortgage brokers getting a mortgage if you're employed or... Well, if you're employed and you've got a good credit history... You could probably end up doing it yourself, but there are three classes of individuals who, for a mortgage broker, they want the mortgage broker to sort everything out. So listen, let's kick off with uh, the stories of Gazumping and we'll catch you on the other side. So, talking there about gazumping, and whenever you speak to anybody about gazumping, generally in Scotland people will be thinking, well, that's an English disease, that doesn't happen in Scotland. And thankfully, it doesn't happen very often. I think I can probably count on one hand the times that I've been involved in a a gazumping. But having said that, it happened to me about 10 days ago, and I'll give you a little bit of a background on the story. But before I do, just give you a background as to what gazumping is. Gazumping is where you, as the purchaser, have received a verbal acceptance from the seller. You may even have uh, received a written acceptance. But the bottom line is there is no written contract in place. And what happens is that somebody else comes in, they bid higher than you or give them a better date of entry. In essence, they put a smoke screen up where they disrupt the seller and try and focus the seller to take their offer. So that's what happens, you think you've done the deal but then the deal just slips through your hand. So let me tell you the the story that happened not that long ago. The situation was that we were pretty much the white knight, property had been on the market for a number of weeks. One party had already tried to buy the property and had gone to ground. They couldn't get their mortgage. The seller was up to high dough. My understanding was that the seller had already concluded missives in connection with their purchase. So they had to sell the property. They were under pressure to sell the property. And we came along, my client came along and... They weren't developers, they weren't trying to do a deal They wanted to live in this property It just so happened that the circumstances were such that they were negotiating and were in a strong position to negotiate So we got to the stage where there was a lot of chewing and froing and in essence what we ended up paying was pretty close to what the previous offer was and they'd they'd gone they'd they weren't coming back they couldn't buy the property so we were coming in and stepping into the shoes of the purchaser who couldn't complete so that was on the friday we got the nod on the friday afternoon client was coming in to see me to organize the mortgage on the monday and we get the call on monday morning that somebody has come in and they have sold the property or they have accepted an offer notwithstanding the fact that our offer had been accepted on the friday afternoon that said client had made the decision and they wanted to go with this other offer and the one one of the reasons why they wanted to go with that particular offer was they said that the seller had been spooked the seller had been spooked by the purchaser. And the purchaser had come along and said, they don't have a mortgage in place. They'll have to get a mortgage in place. That could take absolute ages. I'm a cash buyer. I'll buy the property just like that. And the seller, because the seller was under an incredible amount of pressure, she just snapped and took their offer. I couldn't believe it. Don't understand why the estate agents didn't try and contact me on the Monday morning to say, listen, their client is thinking of doing a deal with somebody else. And I could have explained to them that there wasn't going to be any problem with the offer. The client was coming in on the Monday, for goodness sake. We were going to get a decision in principle. The client was employed. The client had a good credit history it was virtually shooty in as far as the, the mortgage was concerned. So to say that I was somewhat pissed off was a slight under-exaggeration. But there's little you can do with regards to a seller who is adamant that they want to do a deal with somebody else. And that's the problem with gazumping. Gazumping will happen all the time if the per- if the seller is of a mind to take a different offer. And why would the seller want to take a different offer? Well, there's a greed element that if somebody comes along and and says, I'm going to offer you a couple of extra grand, that might be enough to tip the scales. But the only way that the seller can get hold of an offer from a purchaser is if the estate agent plays ball. And that's probably one of the reasons why gazumping is not a big problem in Scotland because the estate agents know that if they allow gazumping to happen then the whole system goes up in flames. And so hats off to the estate agents. They're the ones who actively discourage the gazumping, certainly in Scotland. It's clearly a different matter down in England where the property Will just get sold. You'll get gazumped here, there, and everywhere. I don't think it's a great issue with regards to the systems. People, I think down in England say, "Well, it, gazumping is encouraged because of the systems in England." I'm not entirely convinced that that's the case. I'm more convinced that it's probably the estate agents who are quite happy to to gazump or get their clients and encourage. The gazumping, and the other people who actively, obviously discourage the gazumping is the solicitors. There's a law society rules that says if you are asked by a client, a purchaser, to put in an, an offer after a closing date, you cannot act on behalf of that client. And if you're a solicitor and you're acting for a client who you know has gazumped somebody to accept another offer again you're duty-bound not to accept any further instructions. So there are two professionals, the estate agents and the solicitors, who are trying to prevent gazumping. So listen, that's gazumping. I said I would tell you a little story about a client of mine who went at a closing date and bought the property, and they were the lowest offer by some £8,500. And you'll be saying to me, how the hell did that happen? How can you possibly buy a property and you're eight and a half grand off the highest offer? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. We put the offer in, it's 270 grand of a home report and we just go slightly higher than that. But we're nowhere near. Everybody and their auntie wants to buy this one. There are four or five offers. We're nowhere near the mix. So I phone up the estate agent and I say, where are we? And they say, listen, you're way off the mark. I said, listen, if everything falls apart, our offer is in essence a clean offer. Yes, we need to get a mortgage, but it's pretty much shooty in. We don't have to sell any other properties. And at that stage, the estate agent interestingly said to me, I'll take that on board because the four other offers were all conditional upon the sale of a property. Our offer was not conditional upon the sale of a property. So 10 days later, we get the estate agent who phones up my client and says, have you bought a property yet? Because their client is struggling to get a response from the successful purchasers and in essence what had happened was that the successful purchasers couldn't proceed with the purchase because they hadn't sold the property not only had they not sold the property they hadn't even had their property on the market when they put their offer in so goodness knows why the estate agents thought it would be a good idea to accept such a conditional offer And so what happened was that they came back to us, they they allowed the purchasers one last chance offer, one last chance, and it became very evident that there was no way that they were going to be able to come to the table and conclude missives. And so the estate agents came back to us and they said, what do you want to pay for the property? And whilst we paid slightly more than we put an offer in originally at the closing date, we were still, we reckoned, eight and a half grand off what the successful purchasers originally had offered. So the moral of the story is that an an unconditional offer, an offer which is not requiring you to sell a property, can sometimes be worth a great deal of money. In this particular instance, it was worth eight and a half thousand pounds. So bear that in mind. Everything is not lost if you're not successful at the closing date. So that's gazumping, that's being successful when you don't have the highest offer. Why would you use a broker? Why would you use a mortgage broker? Bottom line is... Mortgages aren't as hard to get as some people think. I think that if you're employed and you've got a good level of credit and you can pass muster with regard to the affordability and, the f- and demonstrate to the lenders that you've got a history of taking credit and paying it back, then it's not that hard. But what happens if you're too busy? What happens if, you know what, you can't be asked? with all the rigmarole, the form-filling, will go and see a broker. Because the broker will have systems set up that can deal with that. What happens if you want to get the best deal? Yes, I understand that there are comparison sites. But will the comparison sites take into account things like arrangement fees, cashbacks, A broker will be able to demonstrate to you what the best rate, not only what the best rate is, but what the best deal is over a two-year fixed rate period or a five-year fixed rate period. You can be confident if you go to a broker who is going to look at the whole of market, you can be confident that that broker will get you the best deal. So if you want to get the best deal on the market according to your circumstances, then you need to go and see a broker. And then finally, you've got the last chance saloon brigade. You've got those who have a little bit of a shady history as far as their credit is concerned. Maybe they've not been working for very long. Maybe they're a contractor. Maybe they're a locum doctor. Why would you want to traipse around 136 or so lenders trying to find that needle in a haystack? Go and see a broker. For goodness sake, go and see a broker because the broker will be able to find the needle in the haystack. I had one instance there last week where client was actually subletting her property out to a, led, uh, a lodger. And had in fact put in place a contract, and it was a good contract. She'd got it off the internet, and most of the time, my heart just sinks when clients come to me and say, "Oh, I've rustled up this will that I found on the on the internet, or I've rustled up this lease that I found on the internet." But this actually was not a bad contract, but the fact that she had put it in a contract, whilst that was great from her point of view that she put the whole arrangement the arrangement on a on a contractual footing that would scare off a great number of lenders but we managed to find her a lender and it was pretty quick if she hadn't used a broker she could still potentially be floundering about so that is why you want to use a broker If you're too busy or you want to get the best rate or you don't fit into the box, then go and see a broker. The broker will help you out. And that's pretty much all I want to say this week as far as the podcast. We've gone and spoken there about gazumping, the lowest offer. And also a broker. I'm going to shoot out here. I've got a little bit more training to do. What I've got coming up in the next, three, I think in three weeks time, I've got another one of these daft races. It's a half Ironman this time and it's up at Cairngorm. I think we've got to traipse over two Munros this time. So it'll be a, a swim in a lake, the usual 1.2 mile swim and then we're hopping on the bike for 57 miles and then we finish off with a half marathon which takes us over two Monroes. And I think we go to the top of Cairngorm so we um, need to do some serious training over the next three weeks just to make sure that we pull that off. Okay, I'm going to wind that up now and just bring the... This week's episode to a conclusion. I hope you enjoyed the information there. We're trying to make this as informative as possible. And if there's any topics that you would like me to cover as far as the buying, selling, renting or investing in property, then please don't hesitate to get in touch. Looks as if I'm going to be cracking out a couple of interviews. I know that I've been a bit light on the interviews side of things, but we've had a couple of invites for interviews over the last week and uh, hopefully sit down with those individuals and crack out a couple of interviews. I'm just working on the next ed slot for the BNI. Those of you who've been following the podcast all know that I am the educational convener of the networking group and it's my responsibility to prattle on about all things education and I've been doing my prattling on about this book called The One Thing, this book by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan who espouse the, the theory that um, you have to identify the one big thing that by doing that one thing um, everything will become easier and I have to say really got into that book and and I do think that there are some really important things that that they're talking about. One of the things they talk about is this myth busting as far as myth busting of productivity and one of the things is they talk about multitasking and the myth that is multitasking. I think those of you of our certain age maybe were brought up with the fact that you know you had to be able to multitask if you were going to be successful but they've done various tests over time and they've come up with this theory that if you have to multitask or task switch as it's called now then you can lose as much as 28 percent and what we're talking about here is that You'll be aware that there are certain rules of engagement that you have to follow when you're dealing with emails or phone calls or or speaking to somebody, introducing somebody, etc. So if you're in the middle of an email and you're composing that email and then your phone rings, you've got to stop what you're doing and follow the rules of engagement Of answering the telephone. So you introduce yourself, you find out who you're speaking to, why they're wanting to speak to you, etc. And every phone call goes on like that. So you put the phone back and then you have to go back to your email. But you can't just start your email off where you finished. No, because you've probably lost your train of thought and you've then got to go back to that email. And you've got to reread it possibly a couple of times. And then you've got to get back into the flow of that email. And before you know it, well, you might be lucky enough that there's not another phone call that disrupts you. But all that switching from one task to the other is detrimental to your productivity. It's no. not improving your productivity, it's detrimental. And as they say, they've done all these they've got this, it's not a a theory, they've actually done experiments and they reckon that there's 28% of your day. If you multitask, you can lose 28% of your day by multitasking. And so what they're saying is that you should be cutting out all of these distractions. You should be trying to control your environment make things a priority and then block time off to accomplish those particular tasks and as best as you can don't task switch because if you can batch things emails just concentrate on emails concentrate on phone calls concentrate on meetings etc and just do those things in batches then you'll be more productive. It's an interesting theory. Go and buy the book. See what you think. There are certain things about what they're talking about, I think, are, are absolutely top-notch. Give it a go. See what you think. So I'm getting out of here. Once again, that has come to the end of the Bricks and Mortar podcast. That's episode 41, I think when I started this I wasn't too sure how long this would be going for but I think we're doing pretty well at knocking out number 41 We're pretty close to the half century We'll try and get some more guests on and as I say, if you'd like to be a guest on the show to talk some property, give us your chat then do get in touch with the Bricks and Mortar Podcast It's your property podcast